0: I'm Dr Catherine Stamp, Research Fellow at the Centre for Dance Research, or CEDAR, at Coventry University in the UK. And you are listening to the Society for Dance Research's podcast series on inclusion and intersectionality. This series of podcasts extends some of the conversations and themes discussed at the Society's two-day symposium on intersectionality and inclusion that took place in November 2021 at CEDAR. The podcast series joins together researchers, artists and students in the field to discuss some of the key themes explored during this symposium event. Today's podcast explores ideas around intersectional identities, queerness, neurodiversity, disability and mental health connected to practice and audience engagement. As with previous podcasts, we acknowledge that language around these concepts um, is complex and varied. Fuller details of the symposium, its research questions, aims and objectives can be found on the Society for Dance Research website and its accompanying Wakelet online repository in which those presenting and interested others submitted related materials and resources. We invite listeners to engage with these resources and to reflect on some of the ideas raised and themes explored alongside the podcast series of discussions. So, today I am joined by Vipavini Arpradid and Stuart Waters, who will be sharing their research and ideas on intersectionality and inclusion raised during their conference presentations. So, Vip is a scholar of Southeast Asian origin based in Birmingham. Her research explores themes of, of notions of ability, variations in ways of experiencing socially constructed concepts in relation to movement. And audience engagement research. During the symposium, she co chaired the CDARE panel on inclusion and intersectionality. She is a research and policy manager at the charity Sporting Equals, which promotes ethnic diversity in physical activity and sport. She is also a trustee at Birmingham LGBT. She recently published a chapter titled Integrated and Inclusive in the Routledge Companion to Audiences and the Performing Arts. And is a member of the Shape of Sound Collective, which explores the relationship between the body, sound, movement and touch. And Stuart is a queer neurodivergent dance artist based in East Sussex. With over 23 years experience in the art sector, his pioneering work as a maker focuses on practices of safeguarding and access, enabling him to create and share critically acclaimed autobiographical work. His research explores themes of intersectionality, and during the symposium, Stuart was interviewed by Erin Sanchez about his lived experience and how this impacts on his work in a presentation titled Brave and Safe, Autobiographical Trauma-Informed Studio Practice. So welcome to both of you, and thank you very much for being here. I am delighted to be hosting this podcast exchange with the both of you. So firstly, if I turn to Vip, could you briefly outline the contents and key points of your presentation delivered at the Intersectional and inclusion symposium?
1: Sure. Um, so I was part of the CJ panel with Kate Marsh, Professor Sarah Whatley and Rosa Cisneros, um, and we basically had a really informal discussion on the, multiple and changing ways the various ways that we experience intersectionality so it's not just fixed and and I think since the 80s that concept of intersectionality has really changed and you know branched out into so many areas Um, so you know it's not cemented in one modality or one identity anymore and these modalities shift And our own self-identification was central to that conversation. So we all shared our own um, area, aspects of identities, uh, many layers, many spaces that we belong to. um, And really not being stuck in any one mode, but being able to flow between them. Um, And of of course, the work at CEDAIR um, in relation to intersectionality. So, yeah, that was the panel.
0: Great. Thanks, Bip. And... um And Stuart, your presentation was um, a recorded exchange, an interview that Erin interviewed you. And so just thinking about your presentation, reflecting back on it now, how or why were the themes of inclusion and intersectionally important for that presentation? And how does that relate to your research and your work?
2: Um, gosh, I mean, it's quite a hard question to articulate as well. <laughs> I always find that this, um, that this question around the intersections of, of your identity is, uh, mm. quite a challenging and sensitive one in some respects. So I think the, just the idea of talking about it is an interesting one because it keeps, uh, shifting, um, and it's quite live, I think, because I keep finding revelations all of the time. Uh, when I'm working, you know, through my through the lens of my own identity, but I, you know, in terms of collaborating or co-creating with other intersectional artists. Um, but I suppose just to say that really, my it's my it is my intersectional identity and my lived experiences that really have shaped my you know as a mid-career artist um, that's come from a you know a big performance background with no association to some of my identities that we're now using the language for um, those experiences, comfortable and uncomfortable, have helped shape, um, you know, my current practice and some of the tools and research that I've done myself around how to work with my own lived experiences and identities um, and then how I bring collaborators into that. Uh, and co-creators, but how I might bring, you know, students, participants in public speaking realms. You know, it's really started to spread out a little bit just generally in terms of what does a uh, artistic space look like and how, yeah, how my intersectional identities, I guess, lead that space and also welcome other voices that historically may not have been there. Fab.
0: Thank you. And kind of a similar question, I guess, to Vip, just thinking um, through your panel, but also into your own work and your Mm -hmm. research. How or why are themes of inclusion and intersectionality important for your Mm -hmm. work?
1: If we go right back to the roots of why I became a researcher in the first place, I used to be in education um, and and then was really interested in how people learn, how I learned as an individual and unlearned as well. Really important one that. But um, throughout my life, um, I've always found myself living in liminal zones. So those zones in between in between countries, in between ethnicities, in between colours of skin, uh, which is I, I, I have issues with there. Um, languages as well cultures genders so there's so so much going on there and that intersectional lens which I'd never realized until I heard about the word intersectionality um had is, is so important to my research and why I do it it's almost like trying to find peace in that liminal zone yeah
0: that's that's great that idea of finding peace in the liminal zone I think is is um I haven't
1: quite found it
0: (laughs) always striving but no i think that's a that's a great aim um because i because i think that brings together what stuart you were just talking about those uncomfortable places and living in those liminal spaces can be very uncomfortable and yeah really fantastic thank you so thinking about what you've kind of just described both of you together how might you see any connections between your work? Because obviously Stuart's kind of coming from a practice um, space and research, and then VIP's obviously coming from an education research space. So just thinking about how these ideas of the the intersectional identities that you carry with you might connect uh, to one another. I don't know who would like to go first for that one.
1: Well if I can bring up something that Stuart said in his interview that I was really oh okay he said that he was well, Stuart you said that you were experienced um that you experienced being overwhelmed by words um and how viewing all of those things and all of those experience through a queer lens brings them together um so I think for me I, I feel that strong connection with words and how they can be very overwhelming because there's so many of them and there keeps, you know, there's so much more of them tied to identities. Um, and I, I felt the weight of all those words all piling on top of the other on me. Um, and then for me, discovering movement and dance just gave me an ability to kind of explode them all into the air and look at them individually and be separate from them. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I just felt a connection with what you said there in that interview.
0: Mm-hmm. Stuart, <laughs> so, would you like to respond?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Cause I, in, I, to, <laughs> I, I enjoy words, um, and as a performer, you know, I've moved, I moved into dance theater and, you know in terms of script and text and also I use script and text sometimes in my in my own work but also what's really nice about that is that um you know the challenges of jumping in and in and out of different parts of my sort of mental health experience in neurodiversity means that it allows me to be able to talk about things I just really can't articulate I think that's I mean it's it's kind of obvious in a way why my my body wanted to go down the, the direction of art and creativity and dance, but I think I'm finding that more and more now that actually I'm being starting to think a little bit braver about what I might want to do live in terms of not worrying so much about being as explicit, so playing with ambiguity. But because I guess what it was just saying, you know, in terms of being overwhelmed, I think you know uh, a lot of. Living with intersectional identity and suddenly having this language, which in, in one respects really supports you in order to understand yourself and articulate yourself a little bit better, therefore creating a better space for you to thrive in. But equally, I also feel the labor and the weight of that cerebralness, if that's a word. Um, and that's something that I'm going through at the moment in terms of thinking. I spent quite you know a good couple of years just really really thinking this through and using this language. And now I'm I'm feeling a slight rebellion in me to almost want to throw some of it away. Yeah. I'm not sure what that's about.
0: That's um that's that's fab. And, and I I really feel this connection. I think Vip, you've just highlighted the connection that you had to mm. um Stuart's presentation, but it takes me back to some of the questions that the CDA panel was trying to explore, which was mm. In what ways can words limit us? Mm-hmm. And how can dance offer something that words cannot? Mm-hmm. And and it really kind of speaks to that to that idea. So so yeah, I think that's great. Does anyone have anything they want to pick up on um, around those or questions for each other? Before
1: one
2: one. Move on? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Stuart, if you think you had oh, something. No, no, I mean, it's just a quick one to say I it's an interesting one to debate about, isn't it? Whether people think, uh, you know, it feels like it's on the, on people's minds, you know, how useful are pronouns and all these varying um, vocalisation of identities. So you know, how freeing is it or how restrictive is it? And I think there's a real wrestle between opinions and feelings around that.
1: So I'm going back to the audience experience of your work, Stuart. So, yeah. How, how do you, I mean, I don't know if you ever wonder how your audience experiences your work or what kind of questions it brings out, your work brings out in audiences, but is that something that you hope people who experience your work, um, you know, go through? Do they, they, they stop being obsessed with words or they question the kind of identities that they're associated
2: with? Well, I, well I, I think I still, I, I definitely still stand by the fact that I, I guess, unpacking my, uh, you know, varying identities are what deliver quite a lot of material for me and interest in the, you know, sometimes it feels like your identity sort of almost takes the, the limelight. And sometimes I really have to remember that actually it's the ideas and the, the dreams about making work that also centralise. It just happens it's led by some of those experiences. So it's just an interesting varying lens to look at those things through. And I think I really like using the art as a way for people to perhaps think or talk between themselves about, you know, it's those, it's those marginalizations of those experiences that... Um, that have shaped, helped shape that space in a, you know, in a performance realm or public speaking realm or whatever. So, I'm definitely interested in in people feeling something that I might have felt, whether that's through words or something a little bit more uh, sensory, I suppose. Mm. That, that reminds
1: me of um, this. Uh, the, some. some work by uh, a theorist, art art theorist, called John Baldacchino. And he writes about how art can transform, basically. Um, So one of his books is called Exit Pedagogy, um, and he writes about this experience of um, aporia. Um, So an aporia is like a space that you go into and you have to come out the same way. But when you come out of it, you're completely... Transformed and somehow I, I, I see experiencing dance or, or performing yourself as a kind of aporia, not only for yourself, but also for the people um, experiencing the work too.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm coming from um, the, I guess my intersectional identities are coming from, you know, flying the flag a bit for this of, you know, Hidden disabilities, so that does create quite an interesting uh, uh, thinking around how do I create a space for the in, the internal experiences to become external for 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 people, um, and that's what's quite interesting because of course a lot of these uh, historically people don't see a lot of these challenges or behaviours, even people that are really close to you, and that's the challenge of having um depending on what your intersections are but the in the context of mine uh people don't see that they don't often see those vulnerabilities so it's interesting to bring them uh into a public space
1: (laughs) Do, do you have to be explicit about it though do you find or is it with particular audiences that you have to be explicit
2: um I don't know. I'm thinking about that one in a minute. Actually, I mean, I mean, I'm researching a few different pieces, based basically because the pandemic obviously stopped everything. So, um, I'm I'm thinking about a few different pieces um, of work, and I think I'm really, mm, yeah, I'm wondering about that. Like, some of it can be, you know, what needs to be explicit. Where's my Where's my privacy around? this even though I feel driven for people to be thinking about this where does my privacy lie within that and playing with that sort of explicit um, and ambiguous thing possibly as well so yeah great
0: thank you I'm gonna switch us to a a new question um but I think it it definitely relates because in returning to your presentation from the symposium I was really struck by something you touched on well I was struck by multiple things but one in particular was around this concept of linearity you you spoke about not being linear um in your in your process but it being very clear you are very clear in the chaos I think you mentioned and so I was just wondering if you could speak a little bit more to how your process um, being informed by your identity bounces and adapts and rejects this kind of normativity of thinking that the creative process and also VIP, the research process, has to be Mm. clear and linear and straightforward. So, just wondering if you could speak a bit more to that.
2: So, is that to me? me? That's me. Yeah,
0: and then we'll flip.
2: Um, yeah, Linny is a funny one, isn't it? I mean, I, (laughs) I struggle with language. I mean, I have had to do academic work and academic language in my life. And I think structure has always been a real challenge with my, with my areas of neurodiversity, um, and sort of ability to stay focused to that. And I think I'm becoming what this kind of Current movement around everyone talking and thinking about this does help. Is that you are able to? I sort of break it all down and compartmentalize it in in, in order to think about it. So, for example, one day, um for whatever reason, might be an incredibly ADHD day for me, um, and that really that really prevents something that I thought the previous day or previous two days that maybe I was going to do on that day. So. It, there's a there's a level of unpredictability to it and um i guess a natural adaption to things but i'll just i might just go <laughs> i might just go off in a different direction or i might be really 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 experiencing um I don't know, a down spiral of some of my mental health access stuff, and that's taking focus. So I think what I struggle with is that none of, those, none of my queerness, neurodiversity or mental health access stuff ever feels like it's all uh, aligned in one stream. It's definitely something that weaves and spirals and circles and re- retreats and comes back. So it feels like there's a lot of movement in all of that stuff. So... I think sometimes that's really difficult for people around you to feel like they're able to keep up with that kind of just natural way that my brain works, <laughs> basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Viv, would you
2: like to?
1: Um, well, I don't know if I'm answering the question, but um, just, just based on that idea of link linkages and um, connections, uh, I suppose one of the things for me is because of all these I'm such an intellectual person by nature and concepts and words, you know, obviously obsessed and overwhelmed by them. Um, I've always been able to see connections between them and somehow movement and dance, learning that completely different language that came into my life as an adult. And I was like, wow, this is such a, a different way to do research and experience life you know uh, so coming from a very social science quite structured background that was blown to pieces which was brilliant and it's really made me a better researcher it's made me engage all of these different concepts in such a, a different way my own identity of course as well so yeah
0: just wondering if you could say a little bit more to to why why you think it, it it's done that what, um yeah,
1: it it changed the way I understood how the world was organised, um, and bringing dance, that experience of dance in my body, into the research process, uh, almost gave me permission to do other things in my research work, and. That's what's really helped me. I, I know it's, it's made me go on all sorts of different career paths, You know, meandering my way through. And uh, one of my former professors labelled me a wanderer. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's brilliant and I wouldn't have it any other way. And a lot of it is to do with how dancers change the way I think.
2: But it's good, yeah. good, but but it's good to be able to. It sounds like you are I would say you're a responder <laughs> rather than a, <laughs> a wonderer, because that's what's happening, isn't it? It kind of takes yeah. you into different, different, a different. it's that you know? It sounds like we have the same intuition, but we maybe they're just slightly different routes. And I think sometimes I have to give up the cerebral approach Mm. um because it isn't my strength even though there's an interest there you know I collect books and sort of look at them and touch them but struggle to read them in any conventional order but occasionally I might pick them up but the the body allows me to get to that part that I'm trying to get to and it Mm. sounds like you're doing it through um you know the same same but different yeah
0: (laughs) yeah I agree (laughs) that's great um just something that came up there for me is is we've we've already used the term intersectionality a lot, and obviously the other focus of or the kind of second half of that symposium focus was on inclusion. So I was just wondering if if you could both speak to what inclusion means to you as a word or as a as an experience um, and as a concept that's getting quite a lot of traction in the in the dance industry has been for a while a little while under the radar, but more so in recent years so I was just wondering if you can kind of speak what does kind of inclusion mean to you
1: I'm, I'm so, gonna i, I jotted down a little paragraph based on that that question so I, I'll just read it and then maybe we can Talk about it and whatever comes to mind. So I wrote, I also understand the tension and fine line between inclusion and exclusion. I mean, obviously, you can't have one without the other so if we're talking about the words. So, exclusion as a deliberate choice, and also arriving, uh, the joy of arriving at the understanding that if we can see the connections and shared spaces between all of these categories that either include or exclude all those binaries just disappear uh, so so yeah I, th- I think that that experience of inclusion and exclusion um this that, and that space between them and how you jump from one thing to the other i don't know where i'm going with that but yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah i mean it that's similar to where i'm at the moment because i think my thinking's changed Change since the uh, symposium, not well, developed. So actually recently I've been proposed a challenge, you know, which I've been thinking about for the last week, that even the word inclusive in some ways is not inclusive. It suggests hierarchy within the actual word. So that's really radical way of thinking about that as a word of going, okay, well that, um, but I guess in some respects, that's kind of the strength of maybe Some people may view this as a strength as a newer divergent uh, artist with all the other intersections that we've mentioned. Leading my space, maybe that's the change. So I guess for me, that's why getting the clarity on co-creation and aligning with um, other intersections and other more marginalized voices that wouldn't normally be invited or historically not in those spaces. And that that feels like that's what that is for me. So whatever the other word is that is coming at some point in the near future and how I'm going to think about using that. Um, That's kind of where I am at recently around thinking about all of that. How you change those spaces that we are all familiar with. What do we change that we already are? I don't know. I don't know. Also, I'm thinking a little bit about what am I scared of letting go of?
0: (laughs) Mm.
2: That's what I'm thinking about at the moment, because I think with dance, there's a real resistance to change um, sometimes more than other art forms based on the fact that we're so attached to particular aesthetics. And I think it feels really scary to let go of some of the aesthetics that we get really used to because we go, oh, that's lovely. That's what a lovely dance experience that was. Mm. Mm. And so that that's where I'm at at the moment. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm perfect. What I'm saying is I recognize that I have some of those wrestles in me, even in my own space. I'm like, oh, I just want to do something nice and dancey-dancey here. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and then I can't help but think, but why? And who is that serving? And, you know, is that an ego-led decision or is that, uh, you know um all of that stuff
1: what well, you said there just now how dance is resistant to change it was like oh, okay dance is resistant to change but for me dance is also the key to real change in the world and I was just thinking the other day if we could get you know all these dancers everyone with dance experience movement artists somatic experts to go out into the, all these other areas, and use what they know through their bodies and infiltrate these other areas, the the kind of change in in the way, the structures, the institutions, politics would be massive. Mm -hmm. And terms like intersectionality, terms that limit, um, you know, all of these languages, genders, uh, religious differences, there's so much there that dance can do. So if... As dance researchers, dancers, we can let go of, of that comfort zone and, and see what we have to offer the world.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what we need to do.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I totally agree. I think dance is wonderful for that, but I think it cha- what how people perceive dance is where the challenge, challenges and resistance are because, you know, some, some forms within dance are changing quicker than others. Um, And that's what interests me. I think, okay, well, over here, we've got lots and lots of radical people trying new things uh, and sort of, yeah, crossing over lots of, I don't know, like cross. It starts to make me think where I am in terms of what what collaborators I have in the space. So what are those cross art? What other cross art um, collaborators can support that sort of, um, well, we're going to use inclusive for, for the moment, but, you know, that inclusivity, you know, and um how do those how does that how does that have a ripple effect um to what we're talking about um what do performance spaces look like um what do any dance spaces look like really mm.
1: so so you're saying how can dance be more inclusive so dance excludes as well
2: yeah i think i think it does a bit of both it does a bit of both doesn't it i think also it just depends on the person. I think for some people, you know, you know, historically I never used to introduce myself with a list of my identities, but we're in that movement at the moment. And I think for some people, they automatically find that um, uh, challenging for some reason, that that somehow excludes them because they might not have similar similar identities that align. Whereas other people, you know, it's about, creating that safe brave space for people so allowing people to be able to voice those things um so yeah i I guess there's a bit of a flip side to it or for both Mm. yeah absolutely i mean i mean you can't you can't you can't do everything you can't do everything so like you know even though i'm advocating for safe a safe and brave space how really realistically how possible is it to you can't can't make a space 100 safe um and who says it's brave (laughs) who says it's brave anyway
0: (laughs) that's a good question who does who who, you know who decides that it's brave Mm. Um, great so i think that moves us really neatly onto my next question which was about how one of the questions posed by the Dare panel that you were on, bit, that you were co-chairing bit, was where are we now and where do we want to be? So thinking about this discussion that we've had around inclusion and intersectionality, where do you feel we are now? And I think, Stuart, you've already spoken to this a little. And where do we or where should we be? And that we can be... Your, your own work and your own practice And your own research Or it can speak to the wider Dance sector and the wider Dance research field Who wants to tackle that one first?
1: I mean I, I think I, I sort of spoke to it A little bit just now about how I just, you know, get Dance um, artists, movement artists To infiltrate all these other disciplines In the world um, So yeah, and I remember having a discussion before the CEDAIR panel um, about inclusion and intersectionality, about how experiencing um, intersectionality through the body can change the, our understanding of it and the, the concept concept of it and how it manifests in the real world, which is what it has been doing. Because intersectionality started as a concept that was based around oppression of uh, a yeah, you know, group of people, and now it's changed into something that's more open. That's more. It's about bringing different strands together. Um, and I, I was at a, um, an art installation the other day, and there were T-shirts and and of photographs of people with a quote from them. And one of the photographs was of a, a faceless individual. They had chosen have their face removed. So it's just their outline. Um, and their quote was, the future is intersectional. And that brought up for me so many things because I was like, oh, well, in my little you know, social science mind, intersectionality is based within oppression and it's it's about, you know, use, using it to create a balance of power and so on. And yet this individual chose to see intersectionality as something freeing and, and you know, a, a, no level, creating a level playing field, and everyone is equal. So it's about change, all change.
0: Stuart?
2: Yeah. So I'm just um, <laughs> just thinking about that.
0: Yeah,
2: no. <laughs> I'm like, I totally agree. Actually, I think like maybe it's the space I'm in at the moment because I'm thinking about it a lot. Um, so I'm like, okay. Um, Yeah, it's in one way freeing, which I totally agree agree with, and in one way restricting, which I think I picked up on earlier, or sometimes it feels like that because there's a labour to the change that Vip's just talked about, which I'm really aware of at the moment. Like I feel like there's a, because I am um, an artist with these and I've been talking about it, that suddenly there is um, a kind of labour to change in those spaces and that, that positive change around inclusivity means that you kind of have to lead that space. And there's something really not exhausting about that. Mm. So maybe I'm feeling that at the moment, rather maybe restrictions, not necessarily the right word, but sometimes I feel like I've got an extra, extra rib cage. <laughs> 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 um, and uh, I'm kind of there with that at the moment, but where we want to be. Um, gosh, I don't know. P- potentially, it's too early to say, isn't it? We, I guess, we want to keep unpacking it and seeing where it goes. But of course, um, I guess, I guess it would be, it would be good to be get to a place where I feel like um, less marginalised communities or voices were able to listen a little bit on a different level to to this. Because sometimes I feel like there is a bit of a a resistance, or you know, sometimes you're in a space where I don't know pronouns are being actively used, and you can almost—I've used this phrase before—but you can almost feel like people are like internally rolling their eyes. Like it's like oh, like there's because there's there's real effort in taking all this on board and thinking about this and finding the space in your life to to think about what people are bringing if you don't feel like you have an intersectional identity or marginalised experience. So I think, I don't know, I think there's a big stretch of time in front of us <laughs> about this. Yeah. Mm.
0: I think that's, that's really key. And I think you've just, you've just mentioned it, this big stretch of time ahead of us. But one of the things you mentioned in your, your presentation, um, your interview, Stuart, was the fact that we... That time is pressured and in the dance world, in, in research, quite often time is it's it's go, go, go. We don't allow the time necessarily needed to process, to to allow that change to settle in the body, in the mind. And alongside that, you spoke about care, the the need for greater care and time being one of those yeah. so just thinking about actually how one of these ways forward might be to think around care and time and what yeah. is needed to process
2: well I think she so was just talking about this on Saturday actually with some artists um so I think what we have is a bit of an irony <laughs> at the moment no not irony contradiction. So mm-hmm. I think is what I mean. Contradiction. So in one way, there's a desire for more, um, practice research performances based around care, safety, uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, but then the contradiction is that, uh, we have certain models of funding and certain models of touring and making work. And those are all the things that need to start kind of really beginning to change and shift, which I think we are seeing and people are are doing. But um, I think that's the journey we are on at the moment. Is sort of um, waiting for all of that to sort of start messing things up a little bit more um, so that it's everything doesn't look in a particular way. I mean, I think what happens is you have, the way things get funded at the moment is you have to do that in a period of time. And I think what the dance sector brings is a level of speed um competitiveness uh passion and drive they can all be useful but the contradiction is that is also there's a thin line between all of those going really quite wrong for individuals and artists as well so i think like the 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 this the sort of time and funding models that we have are not useful you know, if you want to be researching it for two years, then you should be have you should be allowed to, to do that instead of having to do it through a window of that particular funding agreement that you've got. Um, yeah, it doesn't allow naturally for it to go on. So I think there is a bit of a block there around this at the moment. That so what the expectations of what needs to be out there and the reality of being able to do it. As well as you really want to, is pressured because of that.
0: Mm. Mm. Pip, would you like to respond in any way to that? Those ideas no. around care and time. No,
1: I think Stuart
0: said it really well. Yeah, as pra- especially it. as a
1: practitioner. Yeah,
0: fantastic. So we are at time, sadly, um, but I would like to really thank you for. A really rich discussion. I feel like we're just getting started, sadly, Um, but maybe this is something that we continue um, at another time or in another space, in another way, um, which would be really, really great. So I would like to thank both my guests, Vip and Stuart, for your time, openness, and generosity today. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with me, with one another, and with the listeners. A reminder to listeners that the full series of podcasts is available on the Society for Dance Research website. Do take a look and a listen. And for further information, questions or feedback, please contact us via the website. And we hope that you will join us again. So thank you very, very much, Vip and Stuart.